I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yep. How are you? Uh, overwhelmed and exhausted. How are you? Couldn't be better. <laughs> no, that's a goddamn lie. Well. Well. Anyway, um, <clears throat> this is Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. So this rounds out uh, four days off. Which did not feel like four days off for us. No. What did we do for Thanksgiving? We saw a movie. Uh, we saw a four-year consideration screening of Don't Look Up. And then we ate at an Indian restaurant mm-hmm. called Agra. Yes. Cafe. But not spelled like Dark Crystal Agra. <laughs> no, A-G-R-A. It's on Sunset in Silver Lake. Yeah, it's just a hole in the wall. Yeah, well, don't let them hear that. <laughs> well, I'm, it's But fine. I have to shout them out because for the past few weeks, um, I've been wearing these sweatpants from a brand that I just forgot the name of, but they're really comfortable. Aren't you wearing them right now? No, these are not those. <clears throat> I bought like five pair because I like them so much. All the I, same color. All the same color. Like, uh, how would you describe it? You're going like, to be like my grandpa. <laughs> if I could wear the same thing every day, oh I would. <laughs> I totally would. Mm-hmm. But they're like green, like a... Like army worm green. <laughs> yes, like arm, military green. <laughs> fatigue green. Um, but the pockets are very shallow. <clears throat> and we were at this restaurant Thanksgiving, and apparently I had dropped my driver's license there. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, uh, they found it and kept it. And then we called yesterday mm-hmm. and retrieved it. So thank you to Agra Cafe. I'm sure they're listening. Uh, (laughs) uh, What else has been going on? Well, just a million things. Yes. Because we decided to sell our house, Mm -hmm. which means we have to find a new house. Yeah. Which is a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And of course, trying to drive around Los Angeles is not easy because we want to move to an entirely different neighborhood. Yes. So... It's not as fun as it should be, but I no, very, pro- very very few things are, I suppose. No, the prospects are fun. It's just I think <clears throat> you know, you you go to places and it, it's almost worse when you find something you like cuz then you imagine you know, a whole fantasy unfurls in your brain, right? About that and then, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. True. Cuz of X, Y, and Z, LMNOP. There's a lot of people in a very crowded city looking for cool places to live. So, but we're very fortunate. So I'm told I shouldn't complain. All right, moving on. Drag Race UK Series 3, the finale episode. Mm -hmm. So to spoil it, Crystal Versace won. Yes, she did. I was very surprised. I was too, actually. But in a good way. In a good way. So the final episode... Uh, the grand finale, the queens had to write their own verse to RuPaul's song, Hey Sis, It's Christmas. And then for the runway, they came out in like their, you know, best drag, I suppose. And I thought for the performance, Ella Day did the best because yes. she can sing. Yeah. And her lyrics were the best mm-hmm. and she can dance. So... It was all very well put together. I thought next best was Crystal. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that she had a lot of stage presence, and she's a mover. Of course, in rehearsals, she struggled the most with choreography. But of course, you know, they always try to make the... So a, a lot of queens can dance. Like, they're movers, but they don't... Like, they're not professionally trained or didn't take dance classes, so they don't pick up choreo well. But if a bitch can dance, they're going to get out there and do something. Right. So she did do a good job. And then I thought um, uh, Kitty, Scott Claus, her lyrics were a little bit much. And even Rue commented, or no, no. Graham Norton Graham was Norton. very bothered by her lyrics. Because she references like Santa Claus pulling off her panties. And for some reason, he thought it was um, kind of inappropriate. But all I could think of is he's in... Graham Norton is in a movie called Another Gay Movie. Mm -hmm. And he is like this BDSM type guy. And there's a scene where he has a young man. Like Graham Norton's character is under like a glass table. Oh, he does the hot Sanchez. And then has the man like shit in his face. Mm -hmm. So... I just find it funny that he's like... I forgot that was him. ...commenting on crude humor, and it's like... He's not commenting on crude humor. It's this sacredness about Christmas, which I find strange. Sure. Um, but, it, uh, you know, is that really any worse than the uh, innuendo of Santa Baby? But, but anyway, so then the queens... Of, of course, RuPaul's like, I haven't made my final decision. I need all three of you to lip sync. Of course. So they lip sync to You Don't Own Me by Dusty Springfield. Which, did you look up when that version was recorded? Because I swear that's no. a Leslie Gore original. Um, you Don't Own Me... Leslie Gore did ...was recorded by Leslie Gore in 1963. So Dusty's must be a later version. But everybody knows RuPaul loves Dusty Springfield... Um, anyhow, that's neither here nor there, I guess. They perform. I was 100% certain Ella Bidet was going to win. And RuPaul announces Crystal Versace. Well, to be fair, she gave the best lip sync. She did. And Ella Bidet's, we talked about this after too, her final look was... That looked like a man in a dress. Yeah. It it looked like some, it, it looked like a sort of more masculine gay dude doing drag for Halloween. And they ordered, like, just a basic-ass dress with some heels that don't match the accessories, the the gaudy accessories they're wearing, the oversized gaudy accessories. And then the wig is well-constructed, but I just didn't think it matched. So I thought Ella looked kind of crazy on the runway. And couldn't really move for that lip sync, but... Couldn't. Kitty looked beautiful, as always. Uh Uh-huh. Um... And then Crystal came out, I thought, in the best representation of, like, who she is as a drag queen. The reason I'm happy Crystal won is because, well, first of all, Ella Bidet to me seems like, and Rue even commented on this in the beginning, <clears throat> that you seem like an actor who kind of failed at that, and now you want to do drag well, like yeah, another way in. Yeah, yes. What do you say about actors failed actors who become drag queens yeah and i think that that's how he reads like he's a very talented and obviously well-trained like performer actor singer dancer like theater and he did work doing that like he he was on west end i mean they explain when he uh when the show premiered that like his credentials mm-hmm. and obviously is not a household name so then starts doing drag. 
And that's how he reads to me. Like, he will do whatever comes his way. And there's nothing wrong with that. So would I. But then when you compare him to Crystal Versace, who I think is really interesting because she is, she's only 19. So she is like a child of Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Like, this queen is, has been raised on Drag Race. And it shows. Crystal is like all the best parts of like all the best drag queens. The makeup, she can dance. Um, just the look she pulls and her attitude. It all. It also seems like her demeanor on the show was like, oh, I've watched 20-some se- seasons and hundreds of episodes of Drag Race. I know like how to conduct myself. And she seemed to be very mature. Yeah, I agree. For such a young person. I think it's because she studied the show. So I don't mind that she is so young and has never really performed outside of the show. Because I think she represents, like, this is what you can do. Like, like she was, she, she went to RuPaul's school for girls. It's, it's Crystal Versace at play in the fields of the drag race. Yes. So congratulations to her. Moving on to Canada's Drag Race, uh, Season 2, Episode 7. This was the roast of Brooklyn Heights. Um, Where to begin? Well, you know what? To be fair, it wasn't as tragic as I thought it would be. No. Uh, Several people did all right. I was very surprised at Kendall Gender. Kendall Gender knocked it out of the park. First of all, she won the mini challenge, so she was allowed to... uh, organize the order in which the queens come out and she chose herself to go first mm-hmm. and she killed yeah it was, she killed yeah. she looked great so good for her i also thought the one who i don't what's who's the one we don't really care for um i ice isis couture she's the one who went long yes like they like we see the producers telling her like you need to stop you're going too long yeah she didn't even get to finish so which, she never got to it, roast Brooklyn it, is this because of Sherry Pie uh, who knows <laughs> that they have those strict regulations now I think she uh, she was doing a good job and probably got excited and just wanted to keep going and, and you could and, tell she was feeling herself yeah she yeah. was feeling herself and got lost but in the bottom are Geometric and Kamora Amore and. Kamora Amore in like backstage has given up. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going to win the show. I'm done. But she does that thing many queens have done where they're like, I'm done. But then when they say it's time to lip sync, then they always say the same thing. That they're not going to give up and they're not going to go out without a fight. Like, well, bitch, you should have had that energy before you told everyone you were a quitter. So she goes out there and they perform a song, like they perform to a song called Get Down by some band called B44. Which, okay, one, I hated this song. I don't think I, <laughs> I disliked not. a song more than, th- like it was just. It's terrible. And I'm going to show you a picture of these boys. What year is this? Oh, from the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah, they look like that. They're very, yeah. Um... This I thought is, that was a terrible song. First of all, three, like, how would you describe these? Like, Aber- wannabe Abercrombie and Fitch models doing yes. this corny, corny pop song. And then you have two drag queens performing to it? How does that even make sense? I don't know, but it was the, it's probably the second most uncomfortable lip sync I've ever watched. Well, the most uncomfortable is Mimi on first. Yes. There's another one where someone does something similar where they're pushing. Oh, um, the one that looked like Madonna with Shangela. Yes, yes. When, uh, yes. What's her name? 
doesn't matter. Anyway, the, yeah, from season three? Yes. Of U.S. Drag Race, when Shangela lip syncs against the Madonna impersonator, and she, like, is pushing her. But this one, I think, yeah, is the second most uncomfortable, because Kimora follows Gia around the stage. Yeah, like like she's trying to be an annoying bird. I think she it's almost like it. she's trying to block her, like they're playing basketball, and she's trying to block her from shooting. But she's still performing to the lyrics of the song. It was really uncomfortable, and I think a sad way to go out. And yeah. then when and the judges for the first time ever were like, Wait, "What the you, fuck?" Can was you up? can you comment about what that was about? Can you please explain to us what you were doing? And she's like, "Well, I I, I got I don't even know what happened. I got lost in my head, and all I can think of was I needed to." Well, she says, like, all I could think of was, be, like, be an annoying bird. Mm-hmm. That, girl, you went out in a bad way. That was really uncomfortable. So, Kimora Moore gets sent home. Uh, and now uh, we get to enjoy another episode next week. <laughs> enjoy. enjoy, Yes. Anyway, moving on. So, films released that were not covered or reviewed. Something called Drive My Car. Yes. Um, based on a Mirakami short story, which I've read. Uh, the latest from Raisuki Hamaguchi, who's an excellent, excellent director. I've talked about his five-hour opus, Happy Hour, before from, God, was it 2015? Uh, which, if you haven't seen that, uh, please do so. Uh, but Drive My Car uh, competed in Cannes. It's three hours. I believe it won Best Director. Uh, that released this week. I didn't even ask you about it because I doubt it was something I could get you to sit through. And we really, we've kind of been, uh, neither of us have had like really a free hour. It's been bouncing from thing to thing to thing. So it would have been impossible to fit that in this week. Next is a film called Bruised. Which I saw at uh, AFI, was that two weeks ago? Uh, With Halle Berry. And we talked about it on here and Ava DuVernay uh, did the Q&A. And you watched it. This morning or yesterday? I think this morning. Oh. <laughs> uh, what to say about it? It's streaming on Netflix. Uh, if I had to give it a score out of five, I would give it two and a half. You know, I think it's it cuts a lot of corners uh, narratively, but, you know, Halle Berry is impressive in it. The story is very basic. Halle Berry plays like an MMA-style fighter. And the opening of the film, we find that she has, like, she had an episode, maybe like a panic attack during a fight, which prompted her to quit fighting. And now she's like, like, cleans homes for a living. Four years later. Four years later. Then we find out she has a son, but like, her mom takes care of her son. And no. she lives. No, the dad dies. Oh, the dad dies. and then Okay, but uh, Hallie's character doesn't have her son. The, and then she lives with her boyfriend slash manager. The manager is a total loser who says, like, I dropped all of my other clients to focus on you, and then you quit fighting. So now we're both just up, laid up in this house, like, Having broke a without a pot to piss Strange, codependent relationship. Right. Yeah. So he convinces her to go back to fighting. She does. She kind of gets a taste for it, then starts training really heavily with a trainer. This woman, who she ends up having a sexual relationship with. So we see Halle Berry having sex with... Her man, and then also with her female trainer. The female trainer is played by Sheila Atim, who I I really liked her as a screen presence. And it culminates with her fighting like this big fighter, um, and it's a tie. But then it's announced via like uh, I don't know how the terminology, but they both get the same score. So then the judges have to like split the tie, and the other fighter wins. Right. But the film ends with Hallie sort of 
Revitalize it. Revitalize it. Uh, okay. That, but that, like, that fighter is uh, Valery Chochenko, which is notable. Like you said, it cut a lot of corners because, first of all, we, I, I never got a true sense of like... this. That character, how this character seems like a smart, per, smart enough person who's clearly beautiful. It just seems like her life has gone down well, they, to a level where I just don't think it makes sense. They, they cut corners because it's really a film about psychological states and attachment styles, right? Because we learn that her mother's brother was sexually assaulting her and some of her mother's boyfriends, which kind of, which is an announced kind of briefly and I think a little bit glossed over, but. It's like all these components are there about why these people are behaving this way. But when I think about, a, you know, there are a lot of films that revolve around this topic of like a fighter trying to get back in the ring. Like The Wrestler. Yes. And I think The Wrestler was a great film. Rock, I also, Rocky. And, but what I was thinking was this would have worked better as like Rocky. Like I wish she would have just had the one relationship. But to throw in like the kid and then her kid is mute. He was so cute though. He was cute. And then like the relationship with her mom and but, then her man. And then now she's like having a, this lesbian relationship. Yes, and... it's, it's doing a little bit too much without the kind of finesse it needs to do that. And to be fair, this was written for a, a 20 year old Irish Catholic That's girl. That's what they keep saying. Like you said it more than once. Well, because Hallie keeps saying and it. And Hallie keeps saying it because we listened to, um, she was on that podcast called Smart List. And I thought um, she's a compelling listen. And, but it's like, no, I, don't, so she, I don't think you can use that excuse. Like, but, yes, this was written for someone else, but then it was revamped no, for you. She, she retooled it, but I think she just took on so much. She, she had to get into this kind of shape and direct and act. And I know, think it was too much. I, she said in the podcast, it was too much. And then there was problems with funding that she, this was clearly a labor of love. So you can see where and why it's rough around the edges. And I think that's fair. Um, you know, like he, when she's doing, doing the face-off with Chochenko, she has something about like, why isn't she falling down? Which is very much, I think, is it Rocky Three with Dolph Lundgren saying, mm. he is a man, not a, or he's a machine, not a man. <laughs> it very, it heavily relies on those tropes. Yeah, this film left me wanting and I feel like it's not, I don't know, it almost felt like if you were to take out language and sex, this could have been like a made-for-TV movie. Sure. Like this could have been a Lifetime movie. If, if it were made PG, like... Uh, yes. That, that said, I think th there are things to be quite impressed by here. For I think the highlight is watching Halle Berry. Like the, it's obvious the dedication yeah. that was necessary for her to make this film. It's it just not... I mean, it just doesn't hit the way it should. Okay, next is Resident Evil. Oh, yeah, the new Resident Evil Raccoon City came out, but we didn't see it. We received comments on YouTube to review this, but... I didn't I even ask about a press screening. How many are there now? Oh, I don't even know. A number of them. There are a lot We've, of them. I know I've seen one for sure in a theater. I don't know that I've seen any in a theater. I think I've seen one in a theater, and this might have been in Las Vegas, so this was, you know, 20 years ago maybe, but... Yeah, I was in high school when the first one came out. I just have zero interest in that franchise. And because I'm so out of sorts and out of the loop, I, like it just, I don't even know. <laughs> I didn't even bother reaching out to the publicist to ask about a press screening because there was just, it, well, one, it came out on Thanksgiving, which shortens, you know, kind of how we run our weeks. Um, anyway, moving on, 8-Bit Christmas. Uh, that was another new film this week that I did not make time for. I think, is it HBO Max? I don't. I've never heard that. of this. Oh, um, 
I think, uh, what's his name? Doogie Howser's in it. Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah, he's in it. Oh. Uh, uh, I don't know. A Christmas, <laughs> a 1980s Christmas comedy from Michael Douse, a Canadian director who did Goon, which I remember quite liking. Okay. Next, the DMX documentary. Didn't see that, although I would watch that. Yeah, yeah, I would, in the background. And then, uh, you wrote something, A Castle for Christmas, the, Marie Lambert? Mar- yes, uh, there's a Christmas movie that opened this week that Mary Lambert directed. Mary Lambert. Mary Lambert's the director of the original Pet Cemetery. Oh. <laughs> so Is I, it a legit holiday movie? Yeah, it's one of those one like a Hallmark oh, type. Okay. So that sounds bizarre. Moving on to movies we watched for fun. You received something from Arrow or Shout? Arrow for Phantom of the Mall. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Which has, of course, as Arrow's fashion, this beautiful... Beautiful packaging. Packaging. And I'm like, I've never heard of this film. Um, With Morgan Fairchild. I watched it. Yeah. It's good for a few chuckles. That's about it, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah. It's basically Phantom of the Opera, but somebody's in the mall hiding in the ducks. I think if a person... The trailer was more interesting than the film. Uh, Yes, but it was seeing Morgan Fairchild as the town mayor who is... Always at the mall. Always at the mall. <laughs> Getting chucked out of a, a second store. Oh, and then who's the handsome guy who's the photographer? Um, I'm forgetting. It's somebody you were very familiar with. Yes. Look up his name, but this man, I know him from, I think it's Melrose Place, maybe? But the, his acting and his facial expression. Oh, Rob Estes. Rob Estes. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, it's comical, but it, not enough to make it worth um, and Polly Shore is in it. Polly Shore's in it. Um, you see his butt in it. He moons someone, so that's a thing. But yeah, uh, I, I could have passed on that one. Next, we watched a TV movie from the 90s called Mother May I Sleep with Danger, starring Tori Spelling. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. I did too. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I was engaged the entire time. Yes. Yes, I, I was as well. And uh, that... It's about an, a, a college student played by Tori Spelling. She has an eating disorder. She's a total like go, like gunner. And she meets this guy who we see previously kills a girlfriend. So he's like abusive and psychotic. And then he starts dating her and lies about being like pre-med. Um, their relationship escalates very quickly, which causes Tori Spelling's character to distance herself from her mom. And her mom is seeing warning signs, does some research, and realizes this boy is not who he says he is. But the daughter's being uh, immature, I think, and mm-hmm. resistant. So she's like, no, I, I know him, and I, I'm going to live my life. You're just jealous, or you're trying to control me. Until she finds out that he really is crazy. And uh, it culminates with sort of like a showdown with Tori Spelling's character, the crazy dude, and the mom. Mm-hmm. And... The, they think they kill him and they escape, but then we get sort of like a final scene where this guy is now reinvented himself again mm-hmm. and is doing this to another girl. The end. This this made me feel so good because obviously it's from the '90s, but it 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 it, it was nostalgic of those TV movies from that period that were like bigger budget, high quality, yeah. high quality because they starred very relevant TV like actors. Um, this film felt, this shit felt better than a lot of these 
a lot of the theatrical. What's the movie with Jennifer Garner? No, who's Hillary Swank and Michael Ealy? Oh, Fatal. Films like that. Yes. All those like rated R. Uh, how would you call them? Like adult, adult thrillers? thrillers. Yeah. I thought Mother May I Sleep with Danger was better than all that shit. Well, <laughs> it's clear that the writers took care and the actors and some characterization. I think Tori Spelling's, Spelling's performance is, you know, fine. Yeah, like the, she did a good job. I thought she did a good job. They, they take care to have like some quirky weirdness with her mother mm-hmm. uh, that, that seems, you know, strangely authentic. Yeah. Uh, the, the only downside is this, you know, psychotic killer of a boyfriend who they don't quite... Uh, characterized effectively at all but it's interesting and you know this was remade a couple years ago before his uh, debacle uh, with James Franco oh Uh, we watched it on Amazon yeah so it's available on Amazon Prime yeah that was a lot of fun next The Secret of Nim yeah I I didn't watch that right no you were on while I had some of it on oh Uh, Don Bluth who did you know uh, an uh an American Tale, the Five Will Goes West films, and uh, Land Before Time, and all those, you know, lots of very distinct, classic children's cartoons. And I haven't seen this since I was a kid, uh, but I have very clear uh, memories of at least the images and some of the characters. Oh, yes. I, yes, it's a cartoon. Yes. Yes. I, I was present, and I do remember that cartoon from being a kid. Yeah, and I yeah. I think I I forgot that NIM is for Net National Institute of Mental Health. Yes, and you know, yes, it is quite uh, interesting. It's interesting because it's it's not the darkest thing, but I can't, for the life of me, I have no idea what I would have thought of this as a child watching that movie. I remember, you know, what I remember distinctly are the voices. That's yes. what because you started watching it and I was totally ignoring it. And then Nicodemus. And then when that bird comes on, that uh, black bird played by Dom DeLuise, yeah. Then it hit me like a ton of bricks that I had seen this movie more than once, and I remember thinking that it felt sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. so it's a very interesting uh, story. Well, cause, you know, all, almost all of Don Bluth's films are sad. Uh, in that, yeah, I guess they were introducing us to what life would be like. The reality of life. It's <laughs> fucking depressing. <laughs> Okay, uh, next is 10 to Midnight. Yeah, I watched Catching Up on more Charles Bronson films from the 80s. I think I was present for this, too. You you were, because uh, basically after Death Wish, almost every Charles Bronson movie was a remake of Death Wish, it felt like. But again, uh, one of his 10 films he did with J. Lee Thompson. It's 1983. He plays an LAPD detective uh, who's stalking a young man that's murdering young women but it's a young man played by gene davis who is naked before he kills everybody oh that's right who's quite handsome but from what i remember his mouth is kind of he looks like you wouldn't want his mouth on you he looks a lot like oh what was that guy's name who got into drugs hardcore he was in the mechanic jan michael vincent he looks like he looks a bit like that if you looked up jan michael vincent i think you'd recognize him um but of course, one of the women ends up being, uh, if it's not Charles Bronson's wife, it's his daughter who's in peril in all these films. So uh, the killer wants to go after him. It's not very good. I do appreciate seeing Jeffrey Lewis, who's of course Julia Lewis's father, um, and Wilford Brimley is the police captain. Wilford Brimley. <laughs> who has nothing to do, uh, I thought. Anyway, moving on to projects of interest. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. Nos Frangins Nos- Rashid Bosharib. 
Rashid Bushareb uh, is a filmmaker that I find interesting. He has a new project. I forget who's starring in it, though, but that was just announced this week. And what's up with the new Wes Anderson? Or Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson? So strangely, he usually takes several years in between movies, but, you know, the French Dispatch, which I did not like. I did not like the French Dispatch. French Dispatch uh, was delayed. Oh, hey, did you like the French Dispatch? I hated the French oh, Dispatch. Okay. Uh, uh, that was delayed, of course, due to COVID and competed in Cannes. Um, but he's already made a film in Spain with uh, Tilda Swinton that I'm forgetting the title of. Uh, but he, since then, he's already announced a new project that is about to go into production. Do we know anything about it? No. Oh. That's why I wrote New West Anderson. Movie. Okay. Um, uh, next. Oh, unless you have more to say about that. Uh, Asteroid City is the Tilda Swinton Spanish film that's done already. Next is something I didn't know was a thing, but I'm now I'm excited. Is there a new Blade with Delroy Lindo and Mahershala Ali? Yes. So Mahershala's Blade? Yeah. Oh. And I'm guessing... Uh, you know, now I want to watch Blade. Blade, the first Blade is so good. And then there's one with Ryan Reynolds. That's the third one. Parker Posey. <laughs> That's the one where um, Patton Oswalt said Wesley Snipes wasn't communicating with the director, so he would write him notes and sign sign the name Blade. Oh my god. Um, yeah, and then Delroy Lindo, uh, guessing on the age difference, he might be the Chris Christopherson role. Oh, I feel like I need but to watch Blade now. Blade's a lot. <gasps> Steven Dorf. Do we know when... Uh, Udo, you're not the pure blood. <laughs> that's from the first one? <laughs> Steven Dorf is in the first one? He's the villain. And he's got that very Who's 90s Who's the one hair. we see naked in Shadow Boxer? Steven Dorff. Oh. Uh, yeah, he looks good. And Udo and then Tracy Lords opens it and has a pretty good soundtrack. Tracy Lords is in Blade? Yeah, she doesn't even make it past the opening credits, though. Do we own that movie? Mm-hmm. Of course, we own the trilogy. Of course. And, you know, this Blade 2 was... Oh, yeah, and, and uh, I forget the lady that played his mother. Oh, no, Sana is his... Sana Lathan is his mother. Uh, in the flashbacks. Uh, well, moving on to the obituaries. Oh, a biggie. A biggie died this week. Stephen Sondheim died at the age of 91. Mm-hmm. He was a virulent homosexual and uh, a noted <laughs> songwriter. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the most noted of all time. Really. So I will admit, um, I do enjoy musical theater. And if you tell me the music he's written... Like, which music, I, like, I would know them. So, but I'm not, like, into theater music. Like, I like I don't enjoy musical theater enough to, like, play soundtracks. So, I don't, like, I recognize the name Sondheim, but I don't think I really looked up Sondheim until Vanessa Williams. Oh, Syracuse. Yeah, you know, <laughs> do, you, do you know she went to Syracuse? <laughs> um, she... <laughs> Is a musical theater person, right? Yes. And she was talking about him, and she's on several like tribute albums. And oh, because we saw her perform Guys and Dolls. And then we've seen her perform, and she actually talked at length about Sondheim. But I think that was the first time I remember thinking, let me look up who Stephen Sondheim is. And then it occurred to me, like, oh, he's a very, very big deal. Yeah. Like on the level of, um, who's the guy who writes all the shit? Rogers no the English guy oh my god he wrote Cats and oh Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah Sondheim is like Andrew Lloyd Webber right like at that level I mean at that level but can can you compare no but I mean Sondheim's a very big deal yes and but yeah I think you 
surprise yourself. You you were more familiar with him than you know. I think. Oh yes, that's what I mean. Uh, but anyway, do, what, what do you want to say about? I was just reading about his life, and I guess he didn't come out until he was sixty. Yeah. But. See. Or. Yeah. You know what might also give you kind of a tangential appreciation, and I think is really worth the watch is Tick Tick Boom, which just came out on Netflix which Lin-Manuel Miranda directed, which is about the man who wrote Rent, uh, Jonathan Larson, who kind of was a protege of Sondheim um, and can owe that his own success to Sondheim as well, as many can. Um, and, but there's a really great scene in the diner in that movie, which is kind of a tribute to Sondheim musicals, where all of these old, no, I don't want to say old, but all of these like B.B. Newworth shows up and Bernadette Peters, and um, it, it's a really kind of fantastic, magical scene in that. Um, I, I, I did misspeak because I was reading about him. He he was said to have come out as gay when he was like in his 40s, but didn't live with the man until he was in his 60s, and then married someone who's still alive um, in the 90s, I believe. But no, 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 he married that man in 2017. Oh, wow. Oh, so he was in his 80s when he made that. Yeah, so he was a late bloomer. Yeah. Maybe. But his contributions are priceless. Immense. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, sad to see him go. Hope he's at peace. All right. So we have quite a bit of time, more than usual, to talk about things. But, um, or the, or the secret movie. So you chose this week's secret movie. This is a film that we received a lot of YouTube comments about specifically asking me to watch it and review it. So I immediately thought, oh, this movie is some bullshit, and people just want to hear me being ridiculous about it. But then you had talked about how much you liked it, mm -hmm. and you have spoken about this film more than once um, on the podcast and I think in the Venice can. The can uh, YouTube it, video. It won the Palme d'Or. It can. won the Palme d'Or. Okay. So this film is called Titan. Mm -hmm. Made in 2021. Directed by Julia DeCorno. It's her second film. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Straight out the gate. Well, how do I want to approach this? Because I feel like after so many messages about reviewing it, I feel like I should actually like give it some time. Okay. Well, you have it. Well... Do you want to tell us about the director's first film? Uh, it's kind of a cannibal vampire movie, which is... Oh, worth... let's do this like we would do a YouTube video. Okay. That's Nick. And that's Joseph. And today we're here to talk about Titan, the second film directed by Julie DeCorno, which Neon released, uh, I don't know, sometime in September after it premiered at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival, where it won the Palme d'Or, following uh, Dior, Dior, uh, following a debacle of an award ceremony where Spike Lee spoiled it by saying it out loud right when everything began. Um, Would I know this director's other film? No, Raw, which was, I think it was 2016, which played in Critics Week in Cannes, which is where I saw it. Um, where a lot of first films go in that uh, panel. And it's about cannibal vampires, a uh, strong gay component in there. Uh, very likable, uh, although I haven't seen it since then, and I don't remember a lot of the plot mechanics. Oh, and it also stars Laurent Lucas, who uh, is an actor I like that's in a lot of Fabrice Duwells' films. Mm-hmm. The basic story is, it revolves around a character named Alexia. She appears to be in her early 20s. 
The film opens with her as a kid, like maybe like a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. And we see her in the back of her dad's car. So her dad is driving, she's in the back, and she's being annoying. Like making noises and kicking the back of his seat. Clearly the dad is frustrated. When all of a sudden, um, little Alexia takes off her seatbelt and is kind of bouncing around in the back seat. So the dad like reaches behind to grab her and uh, accidentally like uh, crashes the car. He's wearing a seatbelt, so he's fine. But Alexia gets fucked up. Like she has a, a pretty traumatic head injury which requires a titanium plate be uh, placed in her skull. Okay, then we... Immediately after that, it seems she has an affinity for... Cars. Cars. So fast forward to her being like a young adult, like in her early 20s, and we see that she um, was an interesting looking lady. And Played by uh, Agatha Roussel, who's making her debut. Was that her real face in the movie? Yeah. Like, is that her real nose? I'm pretty sure. We need to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is what she looks like. God, you said that you were saying the same thing about Camille Cotton in House of Gucci. I mean, I mean, they're unique looking. Yeah. Which is, could be a blessing. Mm-hmm. All right. So now, Alexia, as this adult, she's like a stripper, but she works like at auto shows. So like dancing, like like on top of cars. A sexy dance on the car hood, yeah. To wrap it up, or to keep to get, to keep this ball rolling, we find out that she's a serial killer, and we see her kill like five people. Yes, and it's explained that she's probably killed more than those five people, and law enforcement is looking for her. There's like an artist rendering, a sketch artist rendering of her, like in subway stations and public places. So she decides to make a break for it. Well, the, the, she burns down the house with her parents locked inside the bedroom. Yeah, she kills her parents too. So, and that kind of signals her need to get away. Yes. So she decides to change her appearance, which this, the reason I'm commenting on her nose is because this actor has uh, very strong facial features. Yes. So, and then we have this sketch artist rendering. So her character decides that she needs to change her appearance. So she cuts all her hair off, binds her chest, so because she wants to appear to be a male, and then she breaks her nose in a pretty gruesome scene in a public bathroom where she like hits her head against a sink. And you also forgot something else. Oh my gosh. Because she has to bind her belly because... The first time we see her kill someone, it's this man who approaches her after work. And he's like, I think I'm in love with you. He's clearly like a groupie. And she engages him... And they're, like, kissing when she kills him. She carries around this, like, looks like a metal uh, chopstick. And she kills this man with this thing. For her hair. For her hair. And she kills him, and he, like, drools all over her. So she goes to take a shower. So she's in the shower naked, obviously. When some... It's almost like this car that's in the showroom is summoning her. Mm -hmm. So she sort of walks out to this car naked and wet gets in the car and appears to have sex with the car yes like we see we see her in the back seat like strapped up with the seat belt and she's moaning in ecstasy and appears to climax then we see her the next day and it looks like her like she's like like motor like crude like dirty black motor oil is coming out of her vagina <laughs> yeah okay 
So it also looks like she's pregnant. <laughs> well, like a, a very qu- quickly accelerating. Yeah, this pregnancy is happening very fast. Like in, the, in a matter of hours, like it looks like she's pregnant. So she binds her torso and chest, cuts her hair off, breaks her nose, and now she's on the run. When she sees that there's a missing boy. From 11 years ago. From 11 years ago. And she has the bright idea to go tell law enforcement she is that missing boy. And they go, okay, let me call your dad. So this man shows up who hasn't seen his son in 11 years and sees Alexia looking all crazy and goes, oh yeah, that's my son. Uh, Which is, uh, he's a fire captain played by Vincent Lindon, who's a very notable, famous French actor. He takes her ass home. Then we have a long stretch of her trying to like hide her identity from him. And then the big gag of the story, I think, is whether or not he knew or he just really wanted to believe it was her. At a point, we we do realize that he knows she's not who he thinks he is because he catches her naked mm-hmm. and sees that she's very pregnant and has breasts. Mm-hmm. But he accepts her. And we get the sense that maybe his son who was missing might have been gay. I mean, he was a kid, but we see like a picture of him in a dress. And he, uh, Vince, I think the dad's name is also Vincent, Pick saved this dress and she puts it on and he catches her in it. And he thinks it's funny because he has, he's saved all these pictures of his son wearing that same dress. Because well, all the stuff from the bio- biological mother is gone. The film, so the film ends with, so after the dad realizes that that's not his son, he still commits to taking care of her. But now it's time for her to deliver this car baby. And she does with the help of her quote-unquote dad. She dies during delivery. And we see the dad holding the baby. And the baby looks like... It's kind of like has marbled skin. And then its skeleton is like titanium. Mm -hmm. The end. And he's whispering, I'm here. The end. Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought this was a very well-made film. So I think it should be applauded for that. Like, this director took some bullshit and turned into a very elegant... um, It's executed elegantly. For what it is, I think she did a very good job. I don't think this film feels innovative or provocative or original because... It's, it reminds me of so many movies. It reminds me of so many films, but... Uh, Crash and, like... Cronenberg. Well, that's Crash. And, uh... Portrait of a Serial Killer. Christine. Chris, sure. Uh, Wolverine. Like, it, it just reminds me of so many things. And then you mix in the body horror stuff. Because she is kind of violent with the killing. Tries and to self-administer an abortion. She tried Right. So, there are a lot of things in it that feel like... It just took, like, someone had this crazy idea. But, like, what if we have this girl with sex with a car and gets pregnant? But think about the first 20 minutes of this movie, which are insane because we're going along with... She's working as this car auto show stripper who is a serial killer, who has daddy issues, who uh, <laughs> is pregnant with a car baby, and then goes on the lam. Like, it... To, yeah, but, but if you think about the super basic story, it's about a serial killer who gets pregnant by a car. Delivers the baby and dies. And that is just so but outrageous. It is outrageous, but the, the the gear of the film is... The gears are about a, a, a young woman who hasn't been able to find the love that she needs. It's really, it, you know, 
to use a cliche, it's like about how hurt people hurt people. And uh, again, about attachment styles, because it, like how children or animals that don't kind of get the love that, or affection that they need can become warped, but how that can be reversed should they find it, I think is really what is going on with Titan as well. I can go through my notes. Um, watching all these men fawn over Alexia, like I had a question mark by that. Like, well, I think she's you know she's she's made up in that scene. She's quite striking. She's, her body is right. She can dance. She well, I don't know if I would say she can dance. Well, she, she can, was dancing, but <laughs> well, that to in that particular way. It's just a very interesting... That actor was a very interesting choice to me. I think she's memorable. Because, you know, the other thing is when she's shorn, uh, and there's that ridiculous... Like, Vincent only cuts off half her hair once, and <laughs> she, look, looks, she looks insane. With I mean, actually, I guess it works because she... Looking at her when she's pretending to be a boy, like, initially, I'm like, oh, yeah, she looks like she'd be like a... Like an ugly 17-year-old boy. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> meek and underdeveloped. Uh, but the focus on her face had me... And I I think I remember writing it, too. Is it, it's very reminiscent of uh, Passion of Joan of Arc of Falconetti. My next note is, this lady is bothering me. And it makes sense because, A, we find out she's a serial killer. <laughs> uh, but, and and... B, she's longing for something, but... Well, which is interesting because, you know, we, we don't really know the actual emotional issues. Her dad is played by a very notable French director, Bertrand Bonello, who looks very uh, unhappy uh, in this couple of scenes he's in. But he's, a, he's some kind of physician because after the car sex, she says she's uncomfortable and he... Examines he, her. But barely will touch her. Like, she just so clearly is searching for his love. And I think the closest thing next to that is sex that she finds, but she kills anybody she's intimate with, kind of. And then sure. it's interesting to that that veers into uh, lesbian possibilities with a co-worker. And there's more of a tenderness there. Be, uh, ultimately, still, that's just about sex and not kind of the unconditional love that she needs. Uh, and so, of course, ends in murder as well. The scene where she's, like, it looks like she's trying to give herself an abortion, that was a lot. It's that a was lot. hard to watch. It, yeah, but... Uh, and it seemed kind of... I think some of the things that... Okay, I would give this film three and a half out of five, which okay. means I think it's very good. Okay. And again, I think the filmmaker deserves accolades for uh, direction... Yeah. So there, there's that. But I don't know that I think that the characterization of Alexia, because we don't know a lot about... You know, we see her as a child, and then this incident happens, and then we see her as an adult still living at home and distant from her parents. And it's like, sure, it's implied that, like... As an like as the audience, I'm, I'm I'm inferring that like there's distance because things are happening, or maybe Alexia has some emotional issues. So I don't need it spelled out for me. But I think because it's just it's just a lot. She's a serial killer, pregnant by a car. Like there's a lot happening that. Well, yes, and then the the narrative duly punishes her because she does die in the end. Right. Uh, but it also shows that. Somebody, it shows a, a trajectory, somebody that has taken away life because of how she's, you know, I think been treated. And 
that is able to also give it and resuscitate it because she starts to work for Vincent Linden, which, you know, is also fucking ridiculous. But, uh, there, oh, it's, this is a really fantastic scene, and it features Dominique Fro, uh, who's the sister of Catherine Fro, a favorite actor of mine. Uh, and you know Dominique Fro. Um, she she doesn't act that much, and she's probably was in stuff more when she's younger. But she's the crazy nurse in Inside. She has one really creepy scene in that movie, hmm. uh, with a uh, in a scene with Alyssa Parody or Allison Parody. Um, anyhow, uh, Dominique Fro's son is overdosed and. Vincent's team is called to help resuscitate the son, and she has a heart attack while he's, while that's happening to her son. And I thought I thought that a, a sequence that uh, plays out terrifically. And uh, Adrian, aka Alexia, has to give Dominique from mouth to mouth and resuscitates her, which I thought was interesting. That was another thing that kind of bothered me is the dad, who's this fire chief. You know, his son is back in the fold. And he just has him jump right, like jump right in, like oh you're going to be a firefighter. And he, like you just mentioned, has him like resuscitating some person. Then we see him like fighting fire with zero training, and like you you talked about earlier today, it probably was because he was trying to keep an eye on him. Yes, but it just seems kind of extreme. Like yeah, but I mean the the suspension of disbelief is high. It, right, uh, right. Um, I, but I really oh you know what I really like that scene the slow motion with in the purple light where um, the firemen are dancing and the song that's being played is Lighthouse by Future Islands, uh, which was a band I was not familiar with before, but it, who has they have a really uh, expansive catalog that I've. Uh, been listening to since this film uh, but I, it there are just like moments of visual magic in there as well the fire chief he is taking he's like taking shots in the ass yes like you think maybe it's steroids or it could be like human growth hormone whatever he's taking it, it looks like he's trying to be buff but, but he, he has no strength yeah, he can't, he can't even do a pull, pull up, up. And he looks crazy because his ass is all bruised up from these shots. And then his body looks like he's trying to be ripped. But um, that was interesting. <laughs> we see uh, Alexia lactating motor oil. That mm -hmm. was wild. Um, oh, my God. The bandage Alexia wears to bind her chest and belly. First of all, you know that shit was dirty and stretched out. But also, she's wearing it so tight that her body's all cut up and bruised. Yeah. That was, I mean, it's just like, it it takes you through it because between that and the abortion and her breaking her nose in the bathroom and her killing people with that damn knitting needle and there's a lot happening. Um, and then the mother shows up. Mother shows up and catches that it she's not who, she's not her son or that's not her son. But then she basically tells her like, what does she tell her? She, she she says it doesn't matter. It, um, she just says you need to be there for him. Right. She's yeah. So the yeah yeah. It doesn't matter who you are, but don't exploit him. There's a scene where the dad is like, was he smoking when he lit himself on fire in the bed? <laughs> it's they're juxtaposing him doing that with her uh, as she's starting to give birth and her stomach's ripping apart. Oh my God, that's all I have. You know, I thought this movie was. I wouldn't watch it again. Would I recommend it? Sure. If you like violence, body horror, crazy shit, 
then it's worth a watch because it's very well done. Um, I there are just things you know that uh, Can twenty twenty one was very lesbian heavy. <laughs> in the competition and outside of it. And it was funny because I saw this after Benedetta, which you're watching this week with me, the Verhoeven film, which is very lipstick lesbian, uh, you know, male gazy. And this had just even small nuances of, uh, you know, from a, a woman's perspective oh. because she's, she's licking on the girl's nipple and the girl's like, oh, it must be your first time. You can move your mouth down somewhere else. <laughs> I know what I wanted to say. Final thought. I think, and I've talked about this before, I think my transformation into like really appreciating cinema more was being introduced to like those French art house horror films. Yes. Like Inside, uh, Martyrs, uh, Frontiers, Satan, yeah. Satan, or. Yeah. Right. Which is like early 2000s, right? Like 2005 through 2008, sure. a lot of those came out. So. To me, this film feels like that, but maybe better directed. But I think the feel of the story, I was joking that I think it feels a little 2000 late. Um, so for that reason, I wouldn't give it like a higher rating. Okay. Because it just feels familiar, which is crazy to say for such a batshit crazy story. But unfortunately, like, you know... This film, I don't think it broke any new ground for me. There were no visuals that I thought were, uh, like, I don't know. It just, it, it didn't send me. It, the only thing I noticed was like, oh, this is very well made. Sure. For, for like, for being so ridiculous. And the symbolism, I think, is very effective. So clearly, the screenwriter, the filmmaker, really, like, put a lot of thought into this, into telling a story. But it feels to me like, oh, we have this crazy idea, and how can we... Oh, it, it feels like gourmet, like, junk food. Like, what was the example I gave last night? Uh, gourmet... Hot dogs? No. I don't... But it, it just feels like something very uh, sort of crude that's made gourmet, like... Well, but I mean, I like things like that. I like the like like, like when I, those vegan bakeries make uh, pop tarts. Sure, that are like seven dollars. <laughs> it feels like that. What's that burger joint you hate that you won't go to ever go to? What? Um, what's the one in West Hollywood? Uh, the burger joint I want. Oh, um, Shake Shack. Yeah, I don't. This is better than Shake Shack. I don't agree with that per se, um, but I'm also really into the elevated B film. Uh, which I, I that's think, exactly what this is, yeah. But but I mean that that's my bread and butter. I like that shit. Uh, I would give I main I did give it and maintain, uh, especially because of the psychological underpinnings that uh, I think it does really well at, at at some of the very same beats. I felt uh, similar emotions. I remember watching the first time, uh, which is kind of crazy considering what 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 uh, Alexia does. Uh, but yeah, it's still a four out of five film for me. I'm happy that it won the Palm. Um, I don't see it, you know, getting Oscar attention. But uh, who could, who cares about that anyway? Well, we can probably wrap it up because my bladder's full. Mm -hmm. What uh, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, well, this week uh, I valiantly uh, tried to, but haven't had uh, gotten to get far in uh, the new book I'm reading, which is The Driver's Seat by Muriel Spark. 
who's probably, uh, she's a Scottish writer who's probably best known for The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. This uh, was made into a film with Liz Taylor in the 70s, which I am kind of a fan of, even though it's Liz screaming a lot. Uh, and uh, Muriel Spark is a, an excellent writer, so I'm looking forward to having time to finish that this week. Great. Um, but I just, uh, of course, uh, in our usual fashion, had was looking up quotes of Muriel's, uh, and I liked the sacrifice of pleasure is, of course, itself a pleasure. But maybe even more so, uh, beware of men bearing flowers for all you ladies out there. The sacrifice of pleasure? The sacrifice of pleasure is, of course, itself a pleasure. The sacrifice of pleasure is... Like there are pleasurable feelings to be had from... Denying yourself? Denying yourself. Okay. Interesting. Well, I guess not if you're a hedonist, but... And nothing pleasures you, I guess. Oh Anything boy. else? Um, Joseph's uh, what, what this dystymias kicked in. Well, <laughs> dystymia is chronic, so it, it wouldn't have just kicked in. It, it, it's always there. <laughs> it's a flare. Just, it's a dystymia I'm flare. I'm just tired. Like you know, I've lived long enough. Like oh why keep this God. train going? Uh, anyway. Is that all? Yeah. Bye. Bye.